It's 49ers Cutback Podcast time. Welcome to the show. Upon further review, went through the film again. I've been able to break down all the plays, watch a bunch of the different players. Not as extensive as I used to do as a coach, where I would watch all 11 players, every single play. I haven't been able to do that yet, but I really enjoy going through film and breaking it down and finding the the things that players need to work on. Maybe some of the things... Uh, that are still hindering this team from taking a step forward or maybe some bright spots uh, that the 49ers can continue to build on, whether that's players uh, playing well, which usually gets a lot of the focus, or if it's uh, technique or scheme or you know anything like that, communication. I think it's really important to go through those things, navigate through them, so that way you can see exactly how this team is progressing. And I thought there were some real bright spots in this game. Just like with all games, there's a lot of bright, uh, and then there's some bad plays as well. The other thing is I don't want to get caught up in, hey, one bad play means a player's stock is going down or anything like that. That's not the case. If it's consistently a struggle, you're making multiple uh, misses per game, then, yeah, your stock can go down. But I think at the worst, if you're only making one bad play, you chalk it up to an anomaly and you move on. And I think every single player makes a bad play in the game, no matter, you know, if you're Trent Williams or you're Christian McCaffrey, you know, or you're somebody like Jalen Moore, you're bound to make a mistake in some avenue. So I think when it comes to this game film, it was interesting because I thought the 49ers really played pretty well. I think they definitely could have scored more points. Some of the penalties, whether we believe they were actually penalties or not, were like shots in the foot. You can't do that. You got to make sure you clean up some of those mistakes. But the good news is, is it's a preseason. And the really good news is we got a second team offensive line that got to play extensive snaps against a Denver Broncos starting defensive line. And so getting those reps against first team players was invaluable for both sides of the ball for the 49ers. So I thought it played well into their favor. And I think as well, uh, Kyle Shannon could have planned this thing out to go exactly how it did. He would have been excited about it to be able to see Brock Purdy have a successful first drive, Sam Darnold cap off his last drive of the touchdown, and Trey Lance not only lead a touchdown drive to get the 40 yards within striking distance, but also help the 40 yards get into field goal range where Nick Moody, who needs that confidence right now, uh, nails the game-winning field goal, which Nick Moody ends up saying that's the first walk-off field goal of his entire career. So what a time to get it. And it's a time to build confidence. And I felt like there was a lot of confidence being built in this football game. Now, the first thing that was noticeable, because that first drive for Brock Purdy was really good. And the way that Kyle Shannon got him outside the pocket and got the easy throw to Debo Samuel, got a screen pass to Debo, let him create. Uh, those are things that are extensions of the run game that are huge for the 49ers. Those boots, uh, they will end up impacting the run game later as well. But I thought there was one play in particular where Brock Purdy uh, threw a ball away. It probably wasn't the best read. So he had one bad read that I saw in the game. And then I saw at the goal line, uh, we had a couple of opportunities to score early on in that 
in that drive. It was it was first and goal. They had a run from Ty Davis Price. I felt like he kind of just ran up in there and didn't really take advantage of the opening where he could have bounced outside. Now, the good news is the last drive of the game, setting up the, the Jake Moody game-winning field goal, the same sort of situation happened. Except this play was more designed to go left at the end of the game, and he, he bounced outside of Coletto's block and got to the outside. The other one was a run to the right. They'd absolutely collapsed on the left side. He could have jumped cut and got to the outside. It would have been a touchdown. A player like Christian McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell, uh, probably could have got in on that. So maybe a little bit of a vision thing, thing for Ty Davis Price there. Not going to be hypercritical of it. What I am going to be hypercritical is on the play where you got Ross Dwelly lined up uh, off just off the tackle. So he's got a little narrow split of about one yard. And you've got a free rusher there, and you got a free rusher outside of him. So what they're going to do is they're going to run a play-action play. Uh, Kyle Juszczyk's going to run right at the outside man that's out there, the edge rusher, and he's going to head right for him, and then he's going to go out in the flat, and he's going to make that guy uh, make a decision, go with me, or at least space him out to give Brock Purdy time to throw the football. Ross Dwelly is going to go up and just in front of the inside man's face, get in his face, make him hesitate, and then he's going to head towards the back pylon. What we get is Kyle Juszczyk open, a little bit of space there where Randy Gregory goes with them, and then Ross Dwelly does get to the back pylon. However, with the play fake, Tidy of his price is supposed to run and take out the inside man in pass protection. All he has to do is get him for a second, and Brock Purdy either throws the ball to uh, Kyle Juszczyk, who's got a linebacker or defensive back on his way to get him, or he goes to the back pylon to Ross Dwelly. Both guys end up being open, but Brock Purdy doesn't have the time because of the missing protection from Ty Davis Price. So last week, I felt like there was a couple instances where Ty Davis Price struggled in pass protection. I brought this up on the reaction show where he's going a little low, maybe diving at people's legs and absolutely whiffing. He needs to make sure he gets more of them. In the game against the Raiders, he did adjust that, and he was able to get his body on guys and slow them down. And it was a lot uh, a lot better for the team because then he was able to get him down. Now, I think what he was trying to do was hit him low to get his hands down so Brock Purdy could throw over the top. But the angle to Kyle Juszczyk, he didn't need to do that. The angle to Ross Dwelly, he didn't need to do that. So that's something they're going to have to work on you know, in the running back room. Uh, but pass protection was so pivotal to Kyle, what Kyle Shanahan thought about this football team last year that Ty Davis Price at Jordan Mason, it took him a long time to be able to be into some of these game situations where they could play on third down. So I think Ty Davis Price has got to continue to work on that. But uh, I definitely am encouraged from what he looked like last year to this year. But I thought that was a, a standout thing that I noticed from film. I'm going to jump to the other side of the ball here. I say Cleveland Farrell was somebody that, upon further review, I thought played even better than I thought in my initial watch of the football game. The way he was getting after the passer, he consistently was putting pressure. Now, I think he was rushing a little bit too deep. Uh, that excitement of him getting upfield, he was sometimes going too deep and allowing the quarterback to step up. So he's going to have to kind of you know, tailor that a little bit, bend the corner a little bit more. But I thought overall he was doing good there. And I thought he set the edge really well against the run. To me, Cleveland Farrell is putting himself in a position to start opposite of Nick Bosa once Bosa comes back. So 
Uh, Cleveland Farrell, over his last two weeks, I thought it's done a very good job, and I'm very comfortable now with Cleveland Farrell potentially being a starter. And I think that's good news for the 49ers, where defensive in-depth has definitely uh, been a question mark. When I was looking at the offensive line, I noticed that there were definite uh, technique um, skills that they were executing at a high level. So I thought that they were doing a really good job. The first team looked very good. Uh, and I thought the second team did a pretty good job too against the starting offensive, I'm starting defensive line of the Broncos. You know, going against DJ Jones is no joke. Uh, going against uh, Allen is no joke. So they had some really good players over there that they were going against. And I thought that the offensive line was doing good. But I did attribute some of their struggles. And I had noticed this a little bit against the Raiders, but it was definitely confirmed against the Broncos. Is some of the struggles of this 49ers defensive line, it, our offensive line is communication. Uh, there is just some times where these guys are not blocking the right guys. You see a guard going down to help a center when he should have been picking up a blitzer, so that way the tackle can get the outside edge rush. There's sometimes that uh, the out, the tackles going to get an outside guy instead of coming inside and picking up a more dangerous linebacker on the blitz. So these communication things are what the second team really needs to work on. And I think if the second and third team can work on those, it can improve. Now, of course, you're only going to keep you know probably three uh, backup offensive linemen. So not all these guys have to play at a high level, but I thought it was definitely a lot better. Nick Zakel only gave up one pressure during the football game. Uh, Jason Poe only gave up one pressure during the football game. I watched Jalen Moore every single snap. Uh, besides communication, I thought he did really well. There was a couple of times where he you know, gave up pressure, but it was a vast improvement from the week before against the Raiders, which means he's probably farther along from his bone bruise. So that's really good news. Uh, Feliciano, this was not his best performance, but I do think he got caught off guard a little bit. And I think part of the reason is he's thinking so much. Uh, that's one thing I've noticed with Feliciano right now. I think he's having to think about all the calls and all the adjustments. They talked about Alex Mack having problems with the same sort of thing. And I think that's exactly what we're getting uh, when it comes to John Feliciano is a little bit of a struggle there. You know what I mean? And I think he's going to figure it out. But uh, there was one play. He slid protection to the right. And then the Broncos did a great move where they took Allen and put him on a stunt. And he got across the face of John Feliciano. It was a very good play uh, from the defensive line. And Feliciano just can't allow somebody to get across his face. It ended up being a sack. And it probably could have been a big play down the field. So to me, that's something that I want to see them get better at. But I'm very encouraged by the technique of these guys and how they're playing. I thought they've done a very good job technique-wise, staying within their base, using their hands, uh, overall, I've been a fan of how Chris Furster has continued to develop his offensive line. And I do think they are, you know, seven, uh, potentially eight deep now. Because I think Jalen Moore, uh, John Feliciano, and potentially uh, Nick Zakel are going to be good enough to be the backup offensive lineman for the San Francisco 49ers team. And I know people are still going to have their concerns. Uh, but from the way I've seen these guys play, and just kind of how I, I've envisioned offensive line play for my years coaching. I think these guys are on their way. Is it perfect? No. Is Jalen Moore going to step in and be as good as Trent Williams? No. But which backup offensive lineman in the league is, right? You're going to lose something. I mean, even Colton McKivitt, who's starting at right tackle, 
in 2021 when he stepped in for Trent Williams, gave up two sacks. When you go against players uh, that are as good as are in the NFL, like Vaughn Miller, TJ Watt, and players like that, uh, they're going to get you. It don't matter who you are. So I think overall, the offensive line looked a lot better in week two than week one of the preseason. And that just proves that, you know, a little bit of a work uh, can go a long ways. And I think these guys are going to improve each week that we see them. And of course, the Warriors are going to have to make some tough decisions here pretty soon. So Ronnie Bell was fantastic. I mean, seven catches over a hundred yards. I mean, he was electric, just exciting to watch. And there was a, uh, I always watch these guys, how they're running their routes, you know, how they operate with the ball in their hands yards after the catch. He was catching screens. Um, to me, Ronnie Bell looks like the complete package. But with that, a couple coaching points that I wanted to get into, uh, the main one is he's got to protect the football. And, you know, I know this is something that, you know, will get kind of glossed over because of all the big plays that he made, including the big catch at the end of the game, you know, to get into field goal range, which is spectacular. He caught it just, I mean, on the run and just continued uh, without a waste of motion. I thought it was a fantastic play. And I don't want to diminish what Ronnie Bell did, uh, but with young players, you got to continue to work on things. And uh, this would be what I would do to my my players if I was going through film. Is I would just straight up say they didn't they didn't care. You know, I didn't care which player it was. I was going to be clear with them on the mistakes that they're making. And Ronnie Bell has had two interceptions in two weeks that went off his hands. Uh, this one off his face mask. In fact, those things can happen. But also, he put a ball on the ground and a fumble. Now, Fournier's got lucky. And it was recovered by them, but that could have been another pivotal turnover against them. So Ronnie Bell's ball security is something that needs to be worked on. I'm not saying that it's a it's something that's going to keep him off the 53-man roster or that he should be stocked down or anything like that. None of that. I just think as a young player, this is something he's going to have to work on. And then something we all monitor as fans and people that watch the 49ers and, and break it down because Ronnie Bell can protect the football. He can make an impact for this 49ers team. And uh, I think the Niners are very excited what they're getting with Ronnie Bell. Sam Womack. I thought in week one of the preseason, Ambry Thomas was uh, the guy that was making the biggest jump. He did so good in coverage, and he just looked really good. And I thought this week it was Sam Womack. Womack looked really good. He was driving on footballs. Could have easily had a pick six if he could have got his left arm uh, free from behind the wide receiver. And so Womack, to me, stepped up in a big way. I want to see how he does in uh, run support so far. We haven't seen too many opportunities for Sam Womack to get involved in run support. So that's something I'm interested in seeing. Uh, but I thought as far as coverage goes, uh, he was standing out. Uh, Marlon Davidson. Marlon Davidson, number one. Uh, was getting double teamed a lot in this football game. They were singling up T.Y. McGill when they were in the game together, and they were doubling Marlon Davidson. But Marlon Davidson kept his pad level so low, and he was using some techniques that I absolutely love. When he was starting to get moved back, he was dropping down and he was creating a pile and not allowing that movement for him to be pushed back into linebackers. I thought Marlon Davidson did a great job. He also showed uh, some great quickness, some great recognition of understanding screens, uh, chasing plays down. And he also got a sack on a nice hustle play where he continued effort-wise to get some push on the guard until eventually the quarterback came his way. He disengaged and he made a sack. So 
Marlon Davidson looked really good. And I think I was surprised on the film to see how many times they were double teaming Marlon Davidson. Uh, but I mean, when you're playing well and you're an impact player, like he has proven to be so far in the preseason, I think it's not a bad idea. They know they can move T.Y. McGill off his spot. They know they can move Kevin Givens off his spot. They tried with they tried with Davidson, but I think he's holding up. And I think that's helping Davidson potentially have an opportunity to make this 49ers a 53-man roster. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion, but it's definitely something that can happen. Hawkins and Q Knight need to be in this organization. Now, I say organization because I don't know if they can make this 49ers 53-man roster. I would love to see it. These two guys flash every single game that they're playing. Uh, you know, Both of them right now are playing safety, but Q Knight has versatility to play nickel. He can play safety as well. He's playing, playing, playing free safety because of the injury to George Odom, and he's flying all around. And he's there, you know, he's making, you know, a veteran player like Miles Hartsfeld look like he has a better understanding of the defense than Hartsfeld did. And Hartsfeld was brought in here by Steve Wilkes to help bring the philosophy in and overall help, you know, with the little tweaks to the scheme. And I feel like Taylor Hawkins and Quantrez Knight are just all over the field. The 49ers have young players that are just flashing nonstop on defense. And two of those players are 41 Taylor Hawkins and 43 Quantrez Knight. Not only are they where they're supposed to be, but they're hitting, they're tackling, and they're making impact plays. Uh, to be these two guys need to be a part of the organization somehow. I think with the film that they're putting out, they the four years now run a risk of losing these guys if they have to waive them to try to get them to the practice squad. I think the only good news is for the 49ers, if they do go that route, is everyone's cutting all their players in one day. So there's so many players out there, so many transactions. You're hoping you're going to be able to sneak these guys to your practice squad because, I mean, you're one injury away from Taylor Hawkins helping out your, your team at free safety, and I think he could do a very good job. And you're, you're one away in the secondary from Quantrez Knight. And I think right now Quantrez Knight is flashing more than some of the players that people are talking about ahead of him. Now, it's not always about flash. Uh, I'll make that clear because sometimes when you're doing your job and you're doing your job well, you just don't even have an opportunity to flash, right? Hey, there are there are times when you see these lockdown corners, they don't even throw at them. How many times did we even uh, forget Richard Sherman was out there because they wouldn't even throw at him some games? So that is sometimes the case. And I think sometimes, you know, no news is good news. Uh, but these two guys have been flying around making plays and I've been excited about Hawkins and, and Q Knight and, and if they're not on the 53-man roster, they need to be on the practice squad. I don't want to lose these two guys because I think they are uh, have potential to be impact players and are an injury away from helping contribute to the 49ers team. And I think they've got really good instincts. I'm excited about those two guys. And Wilkes called those two guys two of his favorite. The other thing is Cameron Latu is coming on. And I watched, I broke him down, not just his catches. He had three catches in the football game. And I thought he did a good job on those plays. He got open, and he was pretty much wide open all in those. And then he almost had another deep catch down the field from Trey Lance. Lance was under a lot of pressure, threw it, and the ball was a little underthrown. Latu didn't get to it. Latu says he should have caught it. Uh, from film, it looked like it was close, uh, but it would have been a really tough catch. So to me, I thought Latu was coming on in the receiving area, which isn't a problem. What I found was when I was watching him back blocking, is he does pretty good when he's on the move and he's shielding uh, when he's going and he's blocking guys. 
uh, that way. He does a lot better than when he's stock blocking or when he's at the point of attack in line. So he needs to get a little bit better in that area, but he does know where to line up. He knows who to block. And I think overall, those are things that are trending in the right direction. So i uh, very excited about Cameron Latu going from how did the 49ers keep four tight ends and keep Latu on the inactive to, hey, maybe Latu and Willis uh, can beat some guys out because, you know, other guys are not playing flawless football either. So there's opportunities for these young guys to come on and make plays. And I thought Latu showed a little bit of the ability in the receiving game. And I still love the way Braden Willis looks on film. Even when he's not getting the football, if you'll watch him, he knows when to sit down in the zone. He he definitely uh, shows himself to the quarterback really well. So to me, I am a fan of both of these tight ends. The question mark is, can they come on enough in one week to be the backups to George Kittle? I think the 49ers still elect to go with four tight ends because if something happens to George Kittle, I don't know if you want a rookie tight end being your starter. So I think the 49ers end up going with four tight ends. The question will be, is it, uh, is it going to be Charlie Warner, Ross Dwelly, or Troy Fumagalli? If it's Charlie Warner, that makes a lot of sense because he's a really good blocker. Uh, you lose a lot in the passing game, but you could probably get that from Law 2 and Braden Willis. If it's uh, Ross Dwelly, it, you probably did it because you wanted to create roster spot, right? Because Charlie Warner hasn't been in the league for four years. He can still be claimed on waivers if you if you release him. With Ross Dwelly, he's been in the league longer than that. So if you release Ross Dwelly, there's no waivers. He can just come back to the football team. So those are going to be some interesting things that we're going to have to watch. And throughout this week, I want to go through the 53-man roster and try to find out the intricacies and the little interesting ways the 49ers can handle this roster to make sure they build the best 53 while protecting uh, players like Danny Gray and players like Ray McLeod from being claimed so that way you don't have a DJ Reed situation where you're trying to get him to the IR with injury designation and then a team like Seattle comes through and plucks them. I think a lot of these NFC West teams would love to get their hands on Danny Gray with all that speed and ability. And I don't really want to see Danny Gray running against our secondary, you know, on the Rams or out there, you know, playing in, in the secondary or playing uh, with Seattle with all the talent that they have. So to me, that is something I don't want to see. So I'm hoping the 49ers can find creative ways to get it done. So there was a couple of players that, you know, I'm going to go through some of the positions and highlight the players that even though my, you know, whatever my initial response was last night, I wanted to make sure it was either right or wrong on these players. Cause sometimes you get into the film and you thought guys played really well, and then you watch and you're like, Ooh, maybe they didn't play as good as I thought, or you thought they played bad. And then you get into the film. You're like, you know what? They played a lot better. And I think that's the case a lot of times. And then every once in a while, exactly what you saw is exactly what you end up seeing on film again. Uh, but those are, I think a little bit more rare. So, First off, Isaiah Oliver. He's getting absolutely uh, lambasted for missing that tackle. And he should have made the tackle. He has the tight end lined up. It's third and long. You got to make that tackle by the sticks. That's what you're expected to do. He missed the tackle. Here's the thing, though. He missed one tackle. The rest of the time, he played pretty good. Uh, Fortnite didn't really ask him to do a whole lot. Had him sitting in zone. Had him come on a couple of blitzes, which he did, and forced the quarterback to get rid of the football pretty quickly. I thought he played the position the way he was supposed to play the position and and just did his job. So it's unfortunate that the one play we remember is the one bad play, 
But I think if the 49ers go back and look at the film, they're going to be pleasantly uh, excited about what happened with Isaiah Oliver as far as all the other plays. Because he was in the right areas in his own coverage. He was coming up and helping in the run game. And so I thought, yes, there was a bad play. You don't want those to happen. Those are going to be highlighted. Uh, but the consistency in the other plays was a tremendously uh, better than the week before against the Raiders where he was getting caught up in man coverage and also potentially out of position in zone. So he was a lot better this week. And I really liked it. We talked about Sam Womack already, uh, so I won't get into him. But A.J. Parker, I thought, looked really good as well. I seen him in man coverage covering guys across the field. He did a good job. Uh, Deshaun Jameson did pretty good, even though there's a couple instances in run fits where I felt he missed his gap. Uh, so he's got to get better at making sure he does that. But that's something young corners definitely, you know, struggle to do at first where Q Knight, uh, guys like that do it really well already. Q Knight spectacular at run fits. So he, he was, uh, AJ Parker, I think is right in the mix for this cornerback job. And I thought Isaiah Oliver did a good job of keeping himself in the nickel conversation we talked about taylor hawkins already uh jair brown played it good again he was good against the run and he also had that you know big touchdown saving tackle at the end of the half i don't think he flashed as much as he did against the raiders but i thought he was more consistent and i thought the coverage overall for the 49ers was a lot more sticky on the back end this week than against the raiders less open receivers running free and there's just less opportunities to make plays because there's less completions uh, it felt like in the game. I felt like Miles Hartsfeld had some struggles again. Uh, it's unfortunate. I think the guy's working really hard. He does pretty good in run fits, but he had a couple instances against the run and against the pass again where he got caught peeking and it catches up to him. At the linebacker position, Jalen Graham and D winners were the big winners uh, overall. I thought Jalen Graham flashed again. He's playing backup Mike. I think he's securing himself a roster spot on this team. And I thought D. Winters was flying around making plays. And he you could see his instincts take over and his natural speed be an absolute weapon for the 49ers. So to me, those guys look good. And I thought Marcelino McCurry Ball uh, played well. He almost had an interception. He put pressure on the quarterback on a blitz. Even though he had only had two tackles, I felt like he was around the football. The one thing I want to see from the linebackers moving forward is they need to disengage a little bit better with offensive uh, blockers and not get squared up by offensive linemen. Sometimes these guys are getting squared up and they're getting the offensive linemen's hands on them and then they can't disengage. So they need to use their quickness. They need to use their intelligence and speed to be able to get around and pass these offensive linemen and not allow to get bodied. But I think they can continue to develop in those areas. And those were the guys that really stepped up. And I thought DFF had a good game, but I don't know if DFF is going to be able to beat out Jalen Graham, and I think that's the biggest question for 49ers moving forward. So at the defensive end spot, besides uh, what we saw from Cleveland Farrell and Kerry Hyder, I thought the big winner on the outside for the defensive ends was Austin Bryant. I think Austin Bryant secured himself a roster spot with his performance over the last two games, he looked fast. He was setting the edge against the run. He was putting pressure on the quarterback. And I think that Bryant is moving in the right direction. And we'll see what happens if Robert Beal is able to play next week. Uh, but right now, I think Austin Bryant is, is sitting pretty comfortable. Greg Jackson should be back. Hopefully, Robert Beal. And then I'm really curious to see how much speed the 49ers actually have at defensive end. It's pretty exciting. Uh, but other than that, I didn't think anyone really stood out. 
Um, I thought there was some pretty good play, but nobody that made great plays. And I'm not really, you know, into gaining stock down, so I'm not going to get into that too much. Uh, but I thought that, you know, there were a couple guys that maybe had some struggles, but there were some guys that really stepped up. On the defensive line, it was nice to see Armstead and Hargrave, and they played really well when they were in there. I will say that on the play that Russell Wilson was able to run up the middle when Steve Wilkes blitzed up the middle, that two players lacked uh, pass rush integrity, their, you know, their gap integrity. That was DFF who got moved. Uh, that created a lane and Eric Armstead who decided to loop around. Those guys would have stayed in their normal areas. There would have been nowhere for Russell Wilson to go and the pocket would have ended up collapsing on him. So uh, those are things that'll come, especially if it wasn't DFF blitzing and if it would have been Dre Greenlaw because he was playing the same position. Uh, my guess is Greenlaw wouldn't have got moved and you probably would have got more of a push because he's a better blitzer and he's a stronger linebacker. Uh, but overall, I thought that Armstead and uh, Hargrave looked pretty good. And then Marlon Davidson, who we talked about earlier, I thought looked really good. Um, and then we'll see. Kalia Davis is supposed to come back this week. If you checked out my news update over on uh, YouTube, you know that Kalia Davis is one of the players coming back this week to practice. Kalia Davis, uh, Drake Greenlaw, another one, uh, George Kittle, Elijah Mitchell, um, and it, it's really exciting because the 49ers need these guys back, and they're all coming back at once, uh, kind of ramping up for the regular season. And I, I did think T.Y. McGill had a good game as well. So T.Y. McGill keeping himself in the mix to make the 49ers 53-man roster. We'll see. It's tough sledding on the inside. And I want to make it clear about the quarterbacks. I thought Brock, Sam, and Trey all had good days. Um, they all had you know a mistake here or there, but I thought overall – uh, they showed command of the offense. They look comfortable running the offense. And that's what you're looking for from the quarterback is guys that can get it done, run the plays that Kyle Shanahan wants them to run. And I thought they did good. Debo Ayuk, Jawan Jennings all looked really good. Uh, Ronnie Bell continues to look good. Chris Conley looked good. Willie Sneed making some plays. And Sneed might be very important to the 49ers 53-man roster here pretty soon. I'm still formulating exactly what I think the 49ers are going to do. But well, the 49ers have some absolute wide receivers, including Tay Martin, who made that crazy catch along the sidelines uh, from Trey Lance, the first throw he Trey Lance made. That was a great play. 49ers have a lot of options at the wide receiver position and are going to have to pull a Houdini act uh, with you know the fact that you have Danny Gray injured and you have Ray McLeod injured. You have to figure it out. You putting them on IR or are you not? And if you're not putting them on the IR and they can't play in weeks one and two, are you comfortable going into those games with four wide receivers? I mean, if you have four, if you have four tight ends, you might be right because you can use George Kittle, you can use Christian McCaffrey, uh, depending on matchups with Pittsburgh and uh, the Rams. So it, it's going to be interesting. I think that's something you have to take into account when you're making your roster early. And a guy like Willie Sneed could be very important to how the 49ers build uh, their roster. As far as running backs, one one point coaching point I wanted to bring up watching. Uh, Jordan Mason and TDP. I thought both of them had a couple of vision issues where they had opportunities to get big time plays and maybe didn't see the hole or pressed it a little early or even a little patient. Uh, so I think these two guys are still getting a feel. I thought in this week's game, Jordan Mason outplayed TDP, uh, but TDP outplayed Jordan Mason in the Raiders game. So I think these guys are in a battle for that running back three spot. Now the problem with it is you have to be able to protect Pass protect, and I think right now that's a definite 
uh, problem for TDP. He's going to have to get better at that, or Jordan Mason's going to be you know, playing. And they're, you know, right now, Jordan Mason's a better special teams player, so TDP had to prove he was better in the passing game and that he could pass protect at a high level. And right now, I think Jordan Mason's ahead. So I would say TDP still the fourth running back. Uh, Troy Fumagalli, one, one thing I was going to note, uh, last week I thought he played really well in this game. I thought he didn't block as good. He was still still caught the ball and was still got open. Uh, but there's one play in particular. Fumagalli's playing in the backfield at the, as a fullback, and he has to come up and cut the edge man. The edge man comes across the line of scrimmage. He just goes underneath and cuts him, and it's going to create this huge lane. And, in fact, if he gets a good enough cut on this play, and we've seen Kyle Juszczyk do it you know, hundreds of times, if he gets it, Jordan Mason cuts outside and runs for a big-time run. I'm talking 30, 40 yards until he's ran down because that's how open it was, and Fumagalli didn't get the guy on the ground, and it ends up being a stop. Jordan Mason, of course, does what Jordan Mason does and gets some positive yards, but I thought there were a couple occasions where I noticed Fumagalli maybe didn't block as good as I was hoping. I was hoping he was going to end up being able to block as well as Warner uh, because I think he's pretty close to as good a receiver as Dwelly, which would have made him a real option as a balanced tight end to be that fourth tight end. But right now, I think Fumagalli's still in the mix, uh, but I don't think Fumagalli did anything to help move him even further in this competition. And then the offensive line, of course, I was a huge fan of the starting offensive line. I thought Colton McKivitz looked really good. I thought Jalen Moore was way better than he was against the Raiders. And I thought that, you know, some of the other guys, Nick Zakel and Jason Poe looked better as well. Burford and Banks both looked good. My question marks, I thought Leroy Watson had some struggles in this football game. I still like his development. I think he might be a year away, though. And I think that was clear in this game. And I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what he does. You know, hey, if you make mistakes, bounce back. So I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but there's definitely some things he needs to work on. Got to give Matt Pryor some credit. He bounced back a little bit in this football game. I thought he played better. I thought Il Manning maybe had a little bit of struggles uh, compared to what he did at the Raiders, but it could be you know just that it was a different type of player that he was going against. So overall, I thought that it was a solid performance by the 49ers. There was a lot of things that you know, were really fun to watch in this game and things you could take away, coaching points that you could take away. So under further review, I think the 49ers have improved from the Raiders game. They're headed in the right direction, and I'm excited to see what they do Friday night against the Los Angeles Chargers. It's going to be a good one for sure. Like the video. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Really appreciate it. If you're listening on an audio platform, give it a five-star rating. 49ers cut back on Believe. You guys are really the best. I appreciate all the support that I've been getting. And I'm looking forward to more 49ers content. There's going to be tons of stuff coming out on the channel all week. So be on the lookout for it, whether it's on YouTube or on audio platforms. 49ers cut back on Believe, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Pods, all everywhere you can listen to your podcast. Check it out. Let me let me know what you guys think. Until the next one, stay safe and remember the right way is always the 49ers way.
When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.